Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is about your brain cells. And when your body creates new brain cells, it's called neurogenesis. And until the late 90s, when I was still working for that first co-location web hosting company that held Google's very first server, scientists still believe that neurogenesis ended in your late teens, maybe early 20s. And basically, once your brain was baked, it was baked, and that was what you had. Now we know that your brain can produce new cells throughout your lifetime, just like companies like Google can add more servers to their network whenever the heck they want. That means that the formerly inevitable brain degeneration just isn't inevitable. Your brain doesn't have to, to die as, as you age. It doesn't have to get weak as you age. You can make brand new healthy neurons at any age. It just takes a little bit more conscious planning to keep doing it as you age. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. Today's episode is one of the more fun ones because I'm here in person at Bulletproof Labs Alpha on Vancouver Island, where I run my organic farm, where I grow my own food, and 
I'm here at least two-thirds of the time. This time I'm on the road doing things to bring content to you. But I'm here with Dr. Mark Atkinson, the medical director for Bulletproof and head of the Bulletproof coaching program. And we're here to do one of the Q&A podcasts, which are, are fantastically fun. I always get great feedback on these because we answer your questions that you've submitted by social media, by email, and on the website, and all the other ways you can submit questions. Probably the easiest is just to go to Facebook and do it. So, Dr. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Excited to be here and uh, looking forward to answering some questions. Have you had a fat water yet today? I've had a fat water just half an hour ago. Here's a pineapple fat water. You know you want it. Thank you so much. Did you guys notice that? I snuck a product plug in there. You almost did. So I, I, uh, I do make a... Uh, I, I do take a minute of your time on each show to talk about one of the cool Bulletproof products. Fat water has Brain Octane in it. And Brain Octane is that oil that raises ketones that directly fuel neurons. Even if there's sugar present, your neurons want ketones. So instead of putting sugar in your water, what if you put the right kind of fat that went straight to energy? Well, that's what we did with fat water. It tastes amazing and you can order it and have it sent to your place of work. We'll send cases of it, even there's a free shipping possibility there. And you can also buy it now in Southern California at a bunch of, of different natural product grocers, which is particularly cool. If your favorite natural product grocer doesn't have it, go in there and stage a protest. What, what, what do they say? Uh, a sit-in or? A, a sit-in would work or uh, uh, resist. Resist the lack of fat water. <laughs> there we go. And since we're, we just went into the realm of politics, without endorsing or denying any particular thing, Dr. Mark, if you couldn't tell by the accent, is from another country. Far, far away. Far, far away. <laughs> this country is called Brexit. That's, that's his new name. <laughs> there we go. Now we've offended everyone, but no one's quite sure how offended they are, because no one knows exactly what we said, except yeah. that we just mentioned inflammatory <laughs> things. And the reason we did that, now that we're getting going on this, is that you might have noticed that we pissed you off. Here's the deal. We didn't say anything other than mentioning things that were stressful. What we just did was trigger your fight or flight response, most likely. So here's the deal. Take a deep breath. Because this is all for fun, and this is all knowledge for you. And we are going to share some things that will allow you to control that fight or flight response because, get this, every time your fight or flight response gets triggered, it causes the mitochondria in your body to make more energy for you to kill your opponent. In this case, it might be whoever is on the other side of whatever it is you support, given that we didn't actually say what we supported here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what happened there, if you actually are like, screw these guys, <laughs> that's all, all stuff that's driven from low-level uh, uh, biology. And in Headstrong, the whole point of this is that when you when you are triggering that that survival instinct, it's a survival instinct that's driven from a subcellular level all the way up into your behavior, and that when you have more energy in your body because you manage this battery in your, in your cells better, you actually can then choose to do something like continue listening to the show or to do whatever you're going to do. So we're giving you more control, but that's just a little small mm. example of how just being triggered by something that's irritating can cause your body to burn calories differently. Instead of saying the calories for thinking, they went into like, what the hell are these guys saying? And it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is, you know, and um, when people realize if you are emotionally reactive and that's like your default state all the time, it's telling you a lot about what's going on inside of your biology. Mm -hmm. And so rather than indulging the emotional reactivity, the question you want to ask yourself is what do I need to attend to in my biology? Yeah. And normally it's a brain power 
issue. And so as you start increasing your energy, taking care of your mitochondria, hey presto, what happens is that emotional activity goes down, your level of presence goes up, and you can just listen to people and reflect upon what they're saying as opposed to be blindsided by the default emotional reactivity that kind of comes up. And this is a big insight because a lot of people, including a lot of the field of psychotherapy and psychology, will tell you how to manage your emotional reactivity, and that's important. We need to know how to calm our nervous system. Mm -hmm. But actually one of the most powerful and direct ways to deal with our emotional state and to improve the health of our mind is you start with the biology. Yeah. There's a, a term that I'm, I'm a huge fan of. There's just two of them. One is called hangry. Hangry <laughs> and angry. And the other is something that I was famous for at a certain time in my life. It's called hypoglybitchy. <laughs> and these are yeah, states that everyone yeah. can resonate with when we say those, yeah. those names. Those are biological states. They're not personal weakness states. They're not emotional states. But the emotions came about from a lack of energy. So exactly. when emotions are triggered, they suck energy. And So yeah. what if you have better control of that? You know, there's, there's a new emerging field within psychology called embodied cognition. And what they're saying is the mind does not solely arise just from the brain. But listen to this. It arises from your bodily state yeah. and your environment. That's and, exactly and, and if right. you get that, that's a game changer. So what it means is that if you want to feel different, if you want to think different, if you want to act different, you have to attend to your brain, your body, and your environment, which is the essence of biohacking. Because you're taking control over your internal and external environment. And so we now realize is like when people have psychological issues. Start with the foundations of your biology. Mm -hmm. Take care of your energy and then see what's residual. And then that's when you then want to work with the psychology. So this is just like a systematic, grounded way of improving the way we perform, the way we feel. But we start with energy. We start with biology. There you go. And that's, that's a core part of, of Bulletproof. Your body responds to the environment around you. That, that's the definition of biohacking. Yes. And what I didn't know when I started the, the, the field of biohacking as one of the originators of the term, I didn't understand that a lot of that environmental sensitivity was actually driven by the mitochondria. These are the sensors of the environment that then drive the change in the body. So it's fascinating. There's a quadrillion bacteria, uh, former bacteria that are now mm. part of your cells that live inside you that are the ones driving that bodily state. Mm. Well, should we get into some of the Q&A? Yes, let's right. do that. Okay, so the first one is um, from John, who's age 47 from America, and this is about hacking habits. So, dear Dave and Dr. Mark, like many people I know, I struggle to stick with new behaviors and practices. I start off enthusiastic and motivated, but within two weeks, usually sooner, I'm back to my old ways. That sounds familiar. For example, I bought a gym membership last October and have only been once. It's now February. I stopped all refined sugar on the 1st of January, and by the 3rd of January, I was eating chocolate and cookies again. It's frustrating and demoralizing. I'd love to hear any tips and suggestions you have for hacking habits and what do you consider to be the keys to making positive changes? That's a, a big one. I, we'll, we'll get to spend the next 20 it. minutes sort of yeah. deconstructing that. Yeah. All right. So first thing. Instead of saying you're working to stick with new behaviors practices, you're, you're defining what you're doing as, as struggling. And I would say that struggle always costs you in a way that, that's hard to, uh, it, it, it's hard to imagine. If you think of a, 
uh, uh, someone taking a puppy for a walk, if you've ever seen this happen. That's what a struggle looks like. The, the puppy plants its feet. It doesn't understand it's mm. supposed to be pulled, and, and you, you tug, and, and then it lays on its back, and then it pees on itself, and it's just a mess. Mm. And in contrast, that's what struggle looks like. In contrast, when you have a trained dog, it just walks with you, and it stops, and it walks, and it stays by your heel, and it's effortless. Right. That said, you might not always go where you want to go. So the point here is that identifying what you're doing as struggling, it feels like a struggle like that, but struggle always costs you because struggle comes with anxiety versus, hey, I'm working to stick to new behaviors and practices. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. That's a lack of struggle and that's Very a work. Good. So the first thing you gotta do is reframe what you're doing here. Saying, I'm working to stick with new <laughs> behaviors, right? And it's okay, you will never be perfect. No matter how good you think you are at that behavior, there's probably one molecule that could have been better. Like, like, so give up on perfection. That'll help you a lot. And that also frees you from failure. Because if what you're doing is you're working to do it, did I work towards doing it today? Yes. Did I succeed all the way? No. Did I fail all the way? No. So a framing like that means that instead of, man, I was going to go with no sugar forever starting January 1st, and I had one cookie on January 3rd, therefore I'm a failure, therefore screw it, I'm going to eat all the cookies. So that reframing is the first thing you do. And then let's talk about some biological stuff you could do about this. Actually, I don't know. Should we switch to biology or do you want to do some yeah, more of the, the thought some... process? All right, you, you, you yeah, yeah. I, I, I love this subject. And, and in <clears> fact, <throat> I've just recorded a whole bunch about habits for our coach students. And this this is a subject that everyone needs to know about. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of things. The first thing is to not make those changes is not a moral failing. Please never allow mm. the inability to put a new change to reflect badly on who you are as a human being. Never indulge that story that says, I'm a failure, I can't and, do it. If that story yeah. pops up, see if what it is a story, breathe into your lower belly, come back to sanity again. And, and it, it's not a moral failing. You, you ate a freaking cookie. It yeah. wasn't a moral failing. Yeah, it's not a moral failing. <laughs> but some people take it so I, oh, seriously. I, I used that, to, yeah. Well, and, and likewise. Yeah. And so we have within our psychology the inner critic. The inner critic mm -hmm. is constantly surveying the way we show up, the way we interact, and it's analyzing it against a tick box of who it thinks we should be. And when it detects a gap between how we are and who we should be, it then sends in the judgments. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is to watch out for the inner critic. The second thing is, the reason most people struggle to implement habit changes, they don't have a systematic approach mm -hmm. to habits. And we're going to provide you one because I've been taking a, a kind of close look at this. But before we do that, let's start on working with the biology first. Because yep. get your biology straight. <laughs> this becomes so much easier. And I do want to say one thing first. Please do not rely on motivation ever again <laughs> to change habits. Why? Because motivation is a fickle creature. It comes and goes. And so what happens is, Around the time of New Year, we're highly motivated. We put on a couple of pounds. Mm -hmm. We don't feel great. We say, okay, January the 1st, I'm going to stop X, Y, Z. And so, but the motivation will come and go. And if that's your primary um, way of motivating yourself, it is unreliable. So you can't rely on motivation mm -hmm. unless you're one of these rare human beings who is highly motivated all the time. And a couple come to mind, but for the rest of us, Motivation is not a reliable way to change, but we're going to give you others. And willpower is one of them, and a systematic approach to changing habits is another. 
the assumption that if you just try hard enough, you'll be motivated. Like, well, let's can we try to feel motivated? It it simply doesn't yeah. work. And when you think about that, it's obvious it doesn't work. But yeah. when you when you when you just feel about that, you're like, well, obviously, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna feel harder. And this is something that I really used to work on a lot. Mm. And when you're doing something like procrastinating, uh, that's actually a, a fear based thing. But it doesn't even sound like it's procrastination on the gym. You know, you, you went once and you tell yourself this story, I should go to the gym. Here's the deal. You're probably not going to go to the gym if you're stressed because, shocking, exercise is a form of stress. So if you have relationship stress, you have job stress, you have financial stress, you have a, a cold, <laughs> you have toxins, you're eating bad food, uh, you didn't get enough sleep, or any of these other stressors, uh, someone in your family died, you just moved, all the WHO list of top stressors. If those are going on, you know what your body needs? Recovery, exactly, not yeah. exercise. I went through a period when I weighed 300 pounds where I went to the gym six days a week and I, I simply told myself, look, the most important thing, and I, this is serious motivation, most important thing I can think of, I don't want to have another knee surgery. I've had two knee surgeries, I'm 20 years old. They told me I'll, I'll be lucky if I can walk normally after this one. So the most important thing is recover. I, I, I'm not going to have these sinus infections anymore. I'm not going to be fat. Six days a week, no matter if I slept two hours a night or I slept 10 hours a night, no matter if I was sick, I was going to drag my ass to the gym and I did it. And all I did was get strong, uh, but I didn't recover. I actually got sicker even though I got stronger. So here's the deal. It's okay if you don't go to the gym. It's truly okay. In fact, in Headstrong, if you go for a walk for 20 minutes mm -hmm. a day and that's all you do, that's one form of mitochondrial stimulation. And the other form is once a week, work out for 15 minutes really, really hard. That's a lot easier than the demand that you go to the gym some mysterious number of days. So most people will say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym every day. Bad idea. Mm. You must recover, right? So it, it, it's easier to make a habit that's daily, which is why we want to do that, but it doesn't work very well. So then you set a schedule. You put it on your calendar. You're like, I'm going to go to the gym twice a week. But quite often that doesn't work. So your best bet, have a trainer, there, we have an appointment that you paid for and you book, so you have to show up, or have an appointment with a friend who's going to show up and work out with you, stuff like that. And here's the deal if you just you roll out of bed, you just don't feel like it, take a deep breath and say, you know, today I'm too sick or I'm too tired. I didn't sleep last night. So instead of whacking myself over the head with stress that clearly my body doesn't want, I'm just going to skip it, and that's okay. I really, really think the stress bit is so important. So, so here's the deal. When we're stressed, we revert to our default habits. Mm -hmm. It is really hard to change any kind of habits when you're in distress. So you have to be attending to your stress. Yep. That's the first thing. And it's like, how can you make important decisions and get clear about what habits that you want to build if you're stressed? You can't. So you've got to manage your stress first, period. Um, and the other thing is that when you start thinking about behavioral change, you've got to get really clear about why do I want to do this? And how does this fit into the bigger picture of my life? Mm -hmm. So it's like you may have this idea that you want to go you know, to the gym five times a week, but that, that time will take away time from something else. So always keep the bigger picture in mind, but get really clear about the why behind the habit as well. What is it in service of? Be really clear about it. It's like what's the outcome that you're, you're after? Now, as a general rule of thumb, we want to start with our biology because what you find is that as you start to manage your stress, feel more relaxed, experience greater levels of energy, your whole neurology just kind of calms down. And 
as you become more mindful, more present, habits naturally start to change. And sometimes all you need to do is choose one keystone habit that you attend to, and then it's much easier to build other habits on top of that. So for, an ex so for example, I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is rather than go up to my head to have a good old think about stuff, I just center myself in my belly, and I'll meditate for 10 minutes or so, it's, it's not that long. Then I'll have some water, then I'll take care of the kids, and then I'll take them to school, I'll come back, I'll spend 10, 20 minutes just mapping out my day, then I'll check my emails. And so the keystone habit is the first thing I do when I wake up. If that's in place, I've trained it so that other habits naturally follow it. So, so this, this is why you don't check my emails in the morning. Ah, that's right, now, now you know. CEO tricks. No. <laughs> And by the way, morning for you is like a different, like yeah, nine yeah. time zones away, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, but it, it is. And what yeah. it does is like, so, so you want to build habits on top of habits. Yeah. But, you, see, it, but if I wake up, I don't do the centering and the meditation, guess what happens? Everything else falls away. Mm -hmm. So you want to stack habits on top of each other. And, and taking control of habits, I was writing about this the other day for our students, I said, if you do not take control of your habits, you are a humanoid. You're not a human being, you're a humanoid. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you're acting out of your habits. And most of those habits, you're doing, you're doing what you're doing because you've always done what you've done. Yep. And you're doing what you've done probably because someone else told you to do it or you think you should be doing it or society tells you to do it. The gift of being a human being is you can choose your habits. You can choose and you can also operationalize them. I... I build time into my calendar for everything, and, and I'm fortunate that I have an executive admin who helps me on that. Mm. One of my habits is I do what my calendar tells me next. <laughs> and it's a really powerful habit because mm. every time you make a decision during the day, it takes away from your decision bank account. It, it takes a little bit of willpower to do it. So if I sit down and go, what should I do now? Should I go work out? The oh, answer is gosh. probably no. <laughs> but yeah. it, here's what my calendar says, and, and like my morning routine, uh, I, I have young kids as well. So I, I wake up, and based on the power of when by Dr. Michael Bruce, I'm a, what he calls a wolf. So my natural, most productive time, the time when I wrote Headstrong, I literally sat, sat there and I wrote between 11 p.m. and like 5 a.m. Those are like the precious hours for me. My normal night is 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. where like the most ideas, the most creativity mm. happens. And 15% of us are wired that way, and it's actually not bad for me to stay up late. It's bad for me to wake up early. And 15% of us are early birds, uh, we call you the bad people. Uh, and then. <laughs> That's me, by the way. <laughs> it's okay. It, it, Mark, here's what I you learned. You mean to say something. <laughs> after years of biohacking, it, is that the early bird works for the late bird. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh my gosh. In this case, you actually do work for Bulletproof. So yeah. thank you for working for Bulletproof. Right, but, that's my uh, but, and then most of us are like normal circadian rhythm. Mm. So for me, I did wake up at 5 a.m. Mm. and uh, I, I played uh, I, I played a doctor on TV. Get it? I played Doctor Mark because I woke up early. Anyway, <laughs> I, I woke up early for two years at 5 a.m. and in order to do that, I said, "Look, I'm going to do this. I don't care how little sleep I get. This is a hard limit for me, and I'm going to do it every day." So I did eventually get so tired that I'd have to go to bed earlier, <laughs> <laughs> even though it wasn't natural to go to bed earlier. And I would wake up and I would drink some green tea and I would meditate for. 
about an hour and a half. And I mm-hmm. found an hour of good meditation would mm-hmm. replace two hours of sleep. Yeah. And this is actually, I don't, know, I don't want to say documented, but I've heard from other advanced meditators and other mm-hmm. various people that they have the same experience. Mm-hmm. I, I consider that to be yep. true if you know how to meditate. Yep. So I did it for two years, and then I had kids. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't functional for me. So what I do is I wake up at exactly the right time to make bulletproof coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> and to give it to the kids and to give myself some, and then I drive the kids to school, I drink my coffee. Right. Right? I haven't done any meditating. Uh, but I did have a progressive wake up on my uh, of my sleep tracking alarm, so I never get jolted out of sleep. And uh, I know the the absolute latest time I might wake up, which is just enough time to get out the door. So I, I get family time in the entire time. My phone is on airplane mode. You cannot exactly. reach me. And that's these are all designs. I don't have to think about any of this stuff. I know where the coffee is. I know where the coffee maker is. It's all planned out. I know exactly how many minutes it takes to get to school. All that kind of stuff. Uh, the only thing I can't plan is whether the kids at the last minute go, I have to go to the bathroom, and then they're late for school. But hey, I, I know they, they can run in and get a note. It doesn't bother me. right? So that whole thing requires no decisions at all. That, that's key because one of the worst things you can do if efficiency and productivity <clears throat> is important to you is to not plan your day out ahead yeah. of time. Uh-huh. Because if you just show up, then what you'll do will be kind of determined by kind of how you're feeling and you know what shows up on your emails. And, and before you know it, you're completely distracted. And it's like, so you've got to find out what your prime time yeah. is, right? Is that, and you want to ring fence that prime time. So you know, I, I kind of, my, my most creative time is between nine o'clock in the morning and, and midday. And it's just like, that is just when I'm in the zone. Mm-hmm. And just doing whatever I need to do. And then like after that, it's like, you know, whatever I do is whatever I do. And so you want to find out what your prime time is and you want to plan as much ahead as you can. So when you wake up in the morning, you know exactly what you're going to be doing because you don't want to be making decisions throughout the day because you may have a little bit of energy in the morning to make good decisions. But, you know, after midday or mid-afternoon, your decision-making effectiveness will go down considerably. You know, we get decision fatigue, right? Yep. And it, it's interesting because for me, my most productive time isn't going to happen until a bit later in the day. Mm. So on my calendar, what's next? It says upgrade time. So I drive home. I know what time I'm going to get home. And then I have Bulletproof Labs here. I have all this mm. equipment. Now, I could sit down and I could go, I wonder what I'll do today. <laughs> my gosh. Right? And if you were just playing down there. There's a lot of stuff down there. Yeah. I could do the Vasper, which takes 21 minutes to replace two and a half hours of cardio. Uh, I could mm. do the the machine that does intermittent hypoxic training, mm. which raises brain-derived nootropic factor. Uh, I could do some neurofeedback. Uh, so I work with uh, my uh, lab assistant who's here in order to uh, either ask him for advice or better yet to just have it scheduled out on the calendar. So I know, all right, this day I'm going to do this. I still maintain the right. Look, oh, I, I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, I just I don't feel like doing a workout. Like I'm going to do something more relaxing this morning. I'll do some electromagnetic frequencies. But mm-hmm. I have a half hour set aside for upgrades, mm-hmm. right? And then, and by the way, I will turn on my phone to look for urgent messages before mm-hmm. I do my upgrade. Mm-hmm. And after that, I'm like, all right, now it's time I start my calls or I start my meetings. But I have no idea what's happening because they're all pre-scheduled. In your case, you've got to have it on your calendar, and you need accountability on your calendar because the calendar removes decision making for you. And allowing yourself to make a decision, it's pretty clear based on your track record that you suck at making these decisions. It's okay, John. You're not good at making those decisions. You might become good at making those decisions, but right now, you're not. So get help. It's okay. Like, make the calendar make the decision for you. Have a friend make the decision for you. Have your significant other make the decision for you. 
It, it's actually an incredible hack. You can borrow other people's brains. Yeah. You can borrow the people's brains <laughs> until yours comes back online. Yeah. And, and check this out. You have an internal resistance that's going on there, mm. right? So, well, if it's up to me, I'm going to do this. Well, here's the deal. Just decide it's not up to you today. Make it up to someone else. Mm. And as soon as you do that, all of the effort and struggle and weight that you feel goes away. Because since it's no longer up to your nervous system and those little bastard mitochondria trying to sabotage you, once they realize that it's not up to, you, to them, they'll be like, ooh. And then you can just go do it. it. It is shocking. Just call up a friend and say, you know what? I'm going to work out one day this week or two days, whatever your goal is. I just want you to tell me when. We like tell me that morning I'm going to work mm, out that day. Brilliant. And seriously, all the procrastination, all the resistance, poof, just goes away. Yeah. I'll give you another way of um, working with, with habits. This works for some people, not for others. And ultimately, you've got to find something that works for you. This is called using micro habits. And, and it's really, really clever. So say, for example, you wanted to get fit. And say you had this idea in your head you want to do 20 push-ups a day. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you make a micro habit, which is like a microcosm of that. So the goal would be two push-ups a day. Here's the deal. You choose a goal that is small enough to have no reason not to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like anyone can do push, two push-ups a day. And so you just decide when you're going to do it. And here's the thing. You start doing the push-ups, and because you're down there, you do more. You start overachieving. And so what we found with microhabits is that you can set microhabits for anything. Say, for example, meditation. Now, a lot of people intend to meditate. And what they find is you know, they put 10, 20 minutes aside, and by a week, they're not meditating anymore. So what you do is you do a microhabit meditation. You do one minute a day. Mm-hmm. So it looks like this. You sit yourself down and you go, okay, I'm going to meditate for one minute. Everyone can pretty much do one minute. And you're there. It's one minute. And you know what? You're kind of getting into the hang of it. And so you stay a little bit longer. And so what you do is the key with habits is consistency and repetition. So if you just set the habit of meditating one minute a day, but every single day for seven days, by the time you get to seven days, you've developed the habit of meditation and then gradually start to extend it. So micro habits works really well for a lot of people. And what's cool about it is there's no resistance in sight. Here's the gym version of a micro habit. Tell yourself, I don't have to work out, but I'm going to go to the gym. So you, you, you get dressed. Maybe that's all you do. I'm just going to get dressed for the gym. That, that might be enough that's of a right. micro habit. But if you just drive to the gym, say, I'm going to go to the parking lot, and then I don't have to work out. You might drive home. Yeah. Better yet, I'm going to go to the parking lot. I'm just going to walk in. I'm going to check in. At least I get credit for that. Mm. Right? And then I'm, I'm just going to leave if I want to. It's shocking how the resistance is gone by the exactly. time you get there. So you're tricking yourself, but it's a micro habit. So it's like, I don't have to do the whole thing. It's, it's too much effort to do the whole thing. I'm just going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And just showing up yeah. sometimes is all it takes. Yeah. I'll give you another one. So this is... Um, you know, for our coaches, so we talk about building the business and you're networking. And so something people really struggle with is this idea of networking and reaching out and sending emails out to people. And so the micro habit is all you got to do is send one email a day introducing yourself and reaching out to network with someone. And what we found with our coaches is everyone can do one email a day. Yep. And what happens is it kind of builds momentum. That's the idea of a micro habit. It's repetitious, it's consistent, it builds momentum, and then as you build confidence with it, then you maybe do two a day or three a day. So it's built organically without effort, strain, doesn't require motivation, doesn't require willpower. So it kind of bypasses all of that. It's just really cool. Another cool thing is what's called if-then scenarios. What you do is you mentally rehearse 
possible ways that life may get you know, in the middle of or in the way of you doing your habits. Say, for example, say you, got, you want to go for a run and it rains often wherever you go. And what tends to happen is you wake up, you hear the rain and you think not today. But if running is important to you for whatever reason, what you do is ahead of time, you do an if-then scenario. And the if-then scenario is, okay, if I wake up and it's raining despite the rain, I will put my trainers on and go for a run. And you mentally rehearse yourself doing it ahead of time. Here's what happens then. In the morning when you wake up, you hear the rain, the brain engages with a mental rehearsal pattern. And that mental rehearsed pattern meets the rain. So you just actually find your body getting changed, going for a run. So you can use mental rehearsal nice. if-then scenarios to kind of bypass it. And that works really well. Because you can think, and, and then when you decide there are certain habits that are really important to you, then you want to ring fence them. These are the kind of non-negotiable things. So for example, if you want to um, develop uh, quality time with your children, you want to ring fence the habit of when they come home from school, giving them an undivided 20 minutes of your time, 10 minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. It's got to be quality time. And the reason I call it ring fence, it means it's non-negotiable. It means that if someone comes up, you know, a call or something, the call has to wait. Just put your phone in airplane mode. Yeah, there you go. So no mm -hmm. one can contact you. Because it's important enough, you've got to ring fence, you've got to protect it. Mm -hmm. And then you know that when they come back, you give your full time and like, you know, if, if you have children, you know, quality time is just the most precious thing you can give to them. Um, and then you kind of come away and you develop this kind of sense where I was like, you know, when I'm really clear about why habits are important, I see the benefit because habits are built on repetition, but also reward as well. Mm -hmm. And when you do a habit that's important to you, allow yourself to feel the sense of accomplishment as well, because that also reinforces the habit pattern as well. So if you're listening to this, get really clear about what habits you want to stop what habits you want to start. That clarity is really important. Get clear about the why. Turn it into a micro habit. Ask for help. Get an accountability kind of um, person. And I, there's one thing I just want to mention is there is a difference between a habit and a compulsion and an addiction. And this mm, is really yeah. important. Um, so a habit you can have control and influence over. And, and it's pretty easy to do that. A compulsion and addiction has a hold over you. Mm -hmm. It's like despite your best intentions, it keeps coming back and you really struggle to do anything about it. Right. Now, both um, myself and Dave, we recorded a whole um, Q&A on addiction. So, you know, if you're struggling with a compulsion, um, you have to have a certain kind of food you have to eat. You have problems with alcohol. You have problems with spending money, with whatever it may be. Take a look at that. Um, Q&A on addiction. There's a lot yeah. of stuff for that. So what we're talking about now is just habits. And the habits are just something that's automatic. It's an automatic pattern. And it can be, like you can have not just behavioral patterns, but you, know, you can have like um, emotional habits. So you see someone and you always have the same emotional reaction. You can have somatic habits, which are really interesting, which is um, certain situations you immediately tense up. You can have relational habits, which is, you know, your default maybe is to criticize your partner. And so as you commit to being more mindful, living with more awareness, you want to start noticing patterns and habits. And do those habits serve your vision for yourself and for your life? Or are they anti your vision? I, and what you tend to find is 
there's a whole bunch of conflicting habits there. So mm -hmm. you may do certain things that bring out the best in you and a whole bunch of things that don't. And so you want to systematically get around your life and look at relationships, you want to look at your health, your energy, your performance, your work, and just say, what habits are working for me already? What do I need to work on? And you just break them down and you do one or two. When you do micro habits, you can do two or three at a time. And you just systematically do them. If you don't have a system like that, it's not going to change. The, the system is, is the most important thing for me. Where, where I, there's, no, there's no thought, therefore the, there's no decision, mm -hmm. therefore there's no resistance. There so I, I, I just know whatever's in the phone, I do that next. And I know that I have a team of people who follow my rules, mm -hmm. <clears throat> my cognitive, rational, well-planned, strategic rules about how I want to spend my time. And they're going to allocate the time really well because if I allocate the time really well, I might just look at Facebook all day. Right? And then I, you know, I, the, the whole for me it wouldn't happen because of all the forty years of brain hacking. Mm. I wouldn't get stuck in a I'm a bad person loop. But for a lot of my life, I'd have been like, wow, I could have done so much more today. I just wasted all this time. It's probably because I'm weak. It's probably because you know, I'm not good enough. It's because I'm a failure. Because you know, all the inner critic stuff mm. that can be erased or just turned off. For most people, it's not turned off. So all that stuff gets triggered. But the truth of the matter is that you probably put yourself in a, in a set of failure for going to the gym or doing anything else that wasn't what gives you the most energy. And it's because you put yourself in charge of deciding to do it right then instead of putting yourself in charge of doing it another time or better yet, having help. Um, it, it's one of the things, one of the reasons that even having a virtual assistant for a mm. small amount of time mm. can be an absolute rocket ship, especially for like ADD entrepreneurs, mm. because you have help deciding what you're going to do right now. It's not that you don't know what you're supposed to do. It's not that you don't know the most effective thing to do, which includes going to the gym on a regular basis for your physical hardware. It's just that in the, the heat of the moment, you probably won't do that. And it's okay. It's just like get someone else to do that. Yeah, you know, kind of setting up that process, having um, a system that kind of works for you, reviewing whether it works for you, and also just kind of managing conflicting habits as well. And so but focus on the keystone habit. So remember, the keystone habit is the one habit that has a massive influence on other habits as well. So for example, you know, when people start exercising, they tend to find that they hydrate themselves better, they eat kind of better food. Yeah. So you want to put your energy and focus on that. And I just noticed, you know, you mentioned about refined sugar and you know, it lasted 48 hours. If you have sugar sensitivity or even the kind of more extreme sugar addiction, that's a challenging one. And so that's why the biology is so important with habits is like you want to start you know, getting yourself nutritional ketosis, taking the brain octane, increasing your, your healthy fat, the fiber, reducing your sugars, and you I, just feel so much better. I feel like we have a whole other episode. Like we, we focused this one on habits on John's question. We've got another question about energy. Let's cover the sugar addiction part yeah. and the energy question in our next Q&A episode. And, and on this one, there's one more, the flip side of habits, mm. uh, which will take up the rest of the time we've got for this episode. And that is uh, my buddy uh, uh, Manish Sethi from Pavlok. This is Ramit Sethi's brother. And uh, you guys may have heard of both of them. Uh, Manish was, I think, the only guy to turn down <laughs> funding on Shark Tank. And uh, he, he did this uh, basically because he, he didn't want to work with a certain investor there in a way that was, if Manish, you're probably listening, was, was shocking <laughs> and definitely got you some press. But what Pavlok is, is a little device that shocks you. And you wear a little wristband, and anytime you, you do something that you wish you hadn't have done, basically a bad habit, or you give in to a craving, you push a little button and it gives you a mild electrical shock. Now, cognitively, it's not that big of a shock. 
but your nervous system hates the shock. And pretty soon, it stops having an attraction to the behavior that doesn't work well. So in Manisha's case, I think he's a bit of a, a, bit of a masochist. I, I don't know. He also was first famous because he hired someone off of Craigslist to come to his house and sit there and slap him when he would go on Facebook when he was supposed to be working. Like literally, his entire habit-breaking protocol was based on like, like negative, mm. <laughs> negative reinforcement. That's not a good move. Mm. But a lot of us, you, your grandmother might have told you, Look, if you, if you do something you don't like, snap a rubber band on your yeah, wrist. Yeah, these rubber right? bands are right. Yeah. And the idea here is that your nervous system was doing something that you didn't want it to do, and it was probably an unconscious behavior. And that kind of thing can bring it into consciousness. So having knowing Manish well, uh, I know that he's had people stop smoking in a week. Mm. He's had people break really destructive habits because when you pair the destructive habit with a super mild electrical shock, it's not that, uh, that not that uncomfortable. It does something at a very low level, so the part of you that would have gotten in the way uh, doesn't get in the way. Yeah, and he even has it set up so that uh, there's a, a, a URL you can go to to shock him. So if he says he's going to meet you at the gym and he doesn't show up, he'll get shocked, <laughs> and his body knows he'll get shocked. So I, I don't believe that it's in your best interest to set yourself up with a, an aversion response. Mm to create positive habits mm. but pairing a negative habit mm. with an aversive mm. response can be a powerful way it can be uh, it's just, I would be careful about that because mm. what you end up doing is inducing like mild trauma in the body every time you do something you don't like mm. and, and that's sort of like training a dog by beating it all the time yeah. uh, and, and that's not that's not okay for your nervous system but if you're doing something and you, you feel like it's a really strong addictive thing I would not be opposed to to trying out a Pavlok. I, I have one. The problem is I don't have bad habits anymore that I want to break. I'm like, what do I do with this thing? So Yeah, you know, kind of just thinking about that. And uh, there is another way of doing this, which is that you can take time to reflect through and think through the consequence, the long-term consequence mm-hmm. of a specific habit. Yeah. And that's kind of quite powerful. So say if your habit was um, you eat sugar all the time. And what you do is you actually just take time to reflect on if I continue to eat sugar all the time, what's the consequence of my life right now? I feel, I feel shitty. My energy's low. I feel grumpy. Uh, it's on my mind all the time. And then the long-term consequences, I put weight on. And when I have sugar, my energy's low. And that affects my performance at work. I know I become you know, you know, um, a bit of a grumpy partner. And so you actually spend time getting in touch with the pain mm-hmm. around the habit. And that's a way of deconditioning yourself as well. Just to feel into the pain. To feel yeah. into the pain of it. It's like, you know, say if you have a habit of criticizing your partner. Mm-hmm. And so in the moment, it just kind of comes up. You think nothing of it. But actually, if you lean into the consequence to the relationship and the impact it has on them, another human being, and you connect with the pain of it, sometimes that can just help to loosen that habit a little bit. But what if your partner really deserves it? <laughs> now we're both in trouble. <laughs> there you go, real big Lana, trouble. don't listen to this yeah, episode, okay, right. Doctor Lana? <laughs> and then what you do is you loosen that habit, and then you know we know appreciations are the antidote yeah. to that. And then say so you set yourself the habit of, and you just start with a micro habit. I'm just going to do one appreciation to my partner each day, but when I do it, I'm going to be really present to it. I'm going to be sincere about it, and I'm going to look them in the eyes. And what it does, so in that kind of moment, mm-hmm. you've, 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 you've got in touch with the pain around the existing habit, and you've set yourself up the micro habit to start doing the antidote. 
in the case of going to the gym for John, who asked the original question, like, okay, when you don't exercise, what is the pain you experience? You have lower energy, yeah. you're, you're probably crankier, uh, you have muffin top, or whatever it is you don't like. It, instead of thinking about it or visualizing it, mm-hmm. actually you, you go into the body, and there's something that in, in the 40 years of Zen is a core part of the, the neurofeedback training, is there's a visceral sensation. So imagine what your skin feels like when you're weak, right? Or, or imagine what your knees feel like when they get creaky, if that's something that happens if you don't exercise. Whatever the symptom of no exercise is, imagine waking up and just feeling crappy. Mm-hmm. It's the sensation that you want to trigger because your nervous system doesn't, right. it doesn't care about your thoughts. It only cares about sensations, right. and you can trick it by turning on a sensation that isn't really there. So then it's like, ooh, I, I don't want that. And that creates the own aversive signal. But you have to be willing and able to do that. And a little hack to that is you can exaggerate it in your mind. So you can exaggerate, like putting yourself a lot of weight on. Just imagine it just going kind of crazy and then feeling the consequence of that in your, yeah. in your body. Like you can't see your feet? Like, like yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, so it's affecting everything. Yeah. And actually just go deep into it. And just breathe slow as you do it, and you get in touch with the pain around it. So, so basically what we're saying is, if you don't have a system for dealing with habits, habits will be in charge of you. Yeah. Create a system, experiment with what works. Um, you can get in touch with the pain. You can create micro habits. You can do if-then scenarios. You've got to get clear about what habits are most important and why. Um, do a couple of habits at a time. Work with the keystone habits. And share, you know, on Facebook, you know, how you get on with that. Because all of us need to work with our habits. It's one of the foundational skills for high performance. But eventually when you get to the place, you just you just start cleaning up your habits. Mm-hmm. And it's just most of the time, you're kind of just showing up as a healthy, high-performance human being. You're in your best self. Um, and you don't have to work so hard. But this is the thing is you don't have to work hard to change habits. Do not rely on motivation. You don't have to rely on willpower. You just have to hack it. You have to be kind of skillful with it. And then you can just organically change habits that matter to you. All right, John, I hope that answered your question for you. You don't need to deal with the frustration and and demoralizing things here. This is a behavior that your body is actually doing to protect you. It's driven from a very low level, Mm. and we give you a bunch of techniques there. And if it doesn't work someday, you don't need to feel frustrated and demoralized by it. It's like, look, the technique didn't work. You'll do something different tomorrow, but you're going to hack this. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, check out Headstrong at orderheadstrong.com. We talk about some of those mitochondrial uh, beginnings in that. And in the next Q&A episode, we're going to answer the second half of John's question around sugar cravings. And we're going to talk about another question that has to do with with energy and mood and relationships and libido, things like that. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating next episode. I look forward to seeing you there. Head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating if you'd be so kind to do that. Or maybe six or seven stars. Just kidding. I, I think five stars is all they've got. But when you do that, it actually helps other people find the show. This is valuable to you. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing with others. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. 
Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.